if it's not COVID related, I would like to have that discussion later. Welcome to Far North Tokers. This is episode 178, April 5th, 2020, with your host, Mid Toker. Thank you all for listening. How is CV lockdown going for everyone? How are your supplies holding up? Whew. I don't know. Things going pretty good. Pretty good. Got my things germinated April 1st, four days ago. Checked things out today. We have got some grape ape coming along. Two have sprouted, as well as Cinderella crossed with Wonderland. We shall see what they end up. See if they're just males. Probably, more likely, my luck. But we're going to be germinating plenty to make sure that will be fine. As far as that, see some good deals going on out there. Helping with some things going on. I know Alaskan Blooms has got some Fat 8th Friday they're doing. That's going to be something to check out this coming Friday, for sure. What we're going to do today... You know, with this CV going on, I am fascinated with policy. And one of the things that's drawn me to cannabis policy is it's brand new. Hadn't been done before, right? And CV-19, this hasn't been done before. Country shut down. Lockdowns, where you're supposed to be, not six feet away, social distancing words. I mean, these things haven't even existed a month ago. Now we're talking about them. Now they're a part of life, not just talking about them. And these two worlds collide. Cannabis and CV, and how is the industry going to deal with it? How are regulations? Are we going to have emergency breaks? Listen today and hear how they talk. They kick the ball down the road a little bit. You know, very good to be doing it that way. Listen to what the attorney says. Give them a week to think about it. Come back, focus next week. April 10th, they're meeting again. And they're going to talk some, get some things done we're, we're seeing. The main things that happen, handler's cards, extended a year. All right. That's a good thing. It's a good thing for the, the people of the business, right? The people of the industry. When we go in and look at this, at the show, I want to thank Bob Dog again for his YouTube streaming of the CCB meetings. Without that, it was nice to be able to go and do other things. While the meeting was going on, I could come back, listen when I needed to, if something was coming up, the licenses were coming on, I wasn't really necessarily interested in those, I'd come back when I wanted to. That's what we're going to do today, focusing just on CV. This is my first time listening to the current chair lead a meeting. Led the meeting very well, but OMG, how many huhs are there? Oh, 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 and oh. You're going to thank me for taking, I, I, 200, I, I don't know how many came out. Lots came out. Very aware of how many ums happen in doing this editing process. <sighs> so many ums. If you guys listen to this guy normally, you'll know. If you don't, you'll thank me for taking them, most of them out. The, what, the ones I could take out. After that, there's a bunch of parts to this. We're going to go through the director report, the investigations, the enforcements. They're all going to be talking about CB. Uh, if it's not COVID related, I would like to have that discussion later. One of the things about the handler's cards, it's really cool. We play the whole thing through how things happen. Sport of politics. Chair doesn't want it to happen. Nothing he can do. He can say whatever he wants. It doesn't matter. Four are going to vote against him. Done. 
it matters who's sitting on the chair. Later on, when the attorney talks about what later on when the attorney talks about what Harriet Milks has to offer, pay close attention to that. It's got me thinking. Cash. So much cash. Are retails doing anything to mitigate the amount of cash that's going through? Is there a process you can even disinfect cash? Reducing staffing. Can businesses survive on reduced staffing? And smoking and vaping is not very productive for dealing with viruses. More edibles, maybe? I know I got to thank Nate again for the green men. About every other night, some hot chocolate and a little green man or an arm or a head or something going on to that. And ah, nice hot chocolate in the evening. We got to get to this. We got to get to this. Thank you to sponsors, Alaskan Blooms, Chena Cannabis, Green Dreams Cultivation, and Frizzen Farms. Here's Token. Let's see what we're going to do about cannabis and coronavirus. Come on down to Alaskan Blooms for the finest cannabis in Alaska. Being stuck at home can be a real drag. You spend all weekend at home, and if you're not considered an essential worker, you've got more downtime coming. To help deal with these trying times, Alaskan Blooms is still running deals all week, so come see us. On Munchie Monday, we're offering 25% off on almost every edible in the store. We've got lots to try out, and we're always looking for new additions. We've got ice cream, cookies, and candy. We're honoring the deal on drinkables, too. On Turpy Tuesday, we're offering all concentrates for 15% off. We have a variety of cartridges of distillates made from some of our most popular strains and mixed with our phenomenal CBD strains. Wednesday is perfect for the pre-roll fans. If you purchase five flower pre-rolls, you can shave 20% off of your purchase of infused pre-rolls or one gram king rolls. Thirsty Thursday is the time to stock up on a variety of edibles. If you purchase four THC infused drinks, we'll throw in a fifth for just a penny. Fire Eater has upped the dosage of THC in their sodas, so be sure to get in on that. We also started getting infused milk from Stony Moose, available in plain, chocolate, or vanilla. Fat 8th Friday is designed for fans of our bulk flour. Pay for an eighth of any strain and get four grams instead of three and a half. We're also weighing quarters and halves fat. Since we can't pack an ounce any heavier, we'll throw a four gram discount on any ounce purchase. We're running low on shatter for Shatter Day, so we'll be extending the 25% off discount to our Creative Confections Terp Sugars as well. Finally, CBD Sunday is the perfect time to try our wide assortment of CBD products. Purchase any CBD product and save 10%. We'll also take 20% off if you get two CBD products. Purchase any three or more CBD products and you'll save 30%. Thanks for making our first year at Alaskan Blooms retail a blast. You keep coming in and we'll keep throwing you the best deals. Here at Alaskan Blooms, we can't stop and won't stop giving excellent service and quality product. 8 a.m. to midnight, 2443 Arvilla Street, Fairbanks, alaskanblooms.com. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For use only by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. And I will call the meeting of the Marijuana Control Board on April 2nd to order at 9.04 a.m.
to have some discussion well, around the regulations and statutes to uh, as it relates to the public health mandates that the governor's put out. Okay, Ms. Ha Mr. Jaime, do you have any changes? I do not, but I do have a, another question. Certainly. Uh, so I would yes. like to, to uh, testify in front of the representative. So what is the status of my appointment? So, do you know Mr. Klinkhart? Uh, hi, this is Director Klinkhart. I did not get uh, any confirmation information from the governor's office or, or not. Uh, everything moved, uh, I think, to the floor, but I don't. I didn't get confirmation that they they voted on it. Over. Okay. For, to Mr. Jaime's question, because he and I are in the same boat with regard to our confirmation. My understanding is that the Senate Labor and Commerce um, has sort of indefinitely postponed our interviews. So I, I, I think we're just kind of in limbo until that happens. But. Uh, that's, that's my imperfect knowledge of the situation. It's my understanding that if the legislature doesn't act, uh, the appointments uh, fall away, although I think they're, they'll fix that. We have to remember that the legislature has recessed. Uh, they did not adjourn sine die. And uh, so I suspect that they may come back uh, for confirmation uh, before they reach the 120. Constitu the, con the uh, constitutional limit of 121 days, but I'm not sure. Uh, I will try to check with some of my sources and see if we can figure that out. Young teacher, the subject of schoolgirl fantasy. She wants him so badly, knows what she wants to be. Well, I guess we're on to the uh, consideration of the handler's card memo from the uh, director. Uh, so, Mr. Klinkhart, can you uh, talk about that, please? Yes, hi, this is Director Klinkhart. Uh, I'm basically asking the board to consider a motion uh, in which something to the, um, uh, to the effect of all state Alaska marijuana handler cards properly licensed and current as of, make one change, Governor's order back on March 15th shall continue to be valid until further notice by the Marijuana Control Board. And this is meant to, to hopefully give some people out there in the industry some sense that this is one of the things they don't need to deal with for a while um, and that when they can work or if they have the opportunity, they can continue to work. So I ask the board for such a consideration to a motion. Mr. Chairman, I would make that motion. Schulte? And Jaime will second it. So board discussion on the motion to uh, all state marijuana handler cards properly licensed and current as of March 11th shall continue to be valid until further notice by the Marijuana Control Board. Uh, that is the motion. Is there any discussion? Uh, this is Jaime. The only thing I have is it says until uh, further notice by the Marijuana Control Board. I'd like to have a date on there so this doesn't go on indefinitely. Do you have an amendment? Yes. I'd like to amend the motion uh, to add an end date to the original motion so that this doesn't go on indefinitely. Even if it's six months out or a year out, but I just want to have an end date. Do you have an end date in mind? Uh, that I do not. I will uh, defer that to the chairman or the director. M Mr. Chairman, if, uh, if I may. Mr. Shoulder. Um, do we know yet the date for our uh, fall meeting? I was going to suggest that. I, that believe, be I believe we have a June, an August, and an October meeting. August. June is in Fairbanks. August is in uh, Nome. 
and October, I believe, is in Anchorage. I, I would suggest either then the uh, August or October meeting date as a as a as a choice, which would be either four months or seven months, if I'm reading the calendar correctly. Mr. Deshaun, just a comment on this one. I I would disagree with having the the date set uh, anytime soon, or even if we are setting a date. I, w- I would recommend at least probably a year so that we're, so, I mean, if we're already extending them, uh, why not give some certainty to the, uh, some certainty to the, so that we're not doing extra work for anybody that's in the, in the business. That, that would simplify things for the folks who are actually processing these handler's cards. I mean, it would basically just make the cards good for two years instead of one, or, well, no, it, it would extend them by one year, I guess. We, we have a motion on the floor. We have an amendment, uh, that has yet to be seconded. So if there was an amendment, we would put in an end date and, uh, August was mentioned. So August 31st would be one date that would be after the meeting and we could act to extend or we could go out uh, a full year to, uh, say, uh, March 1st, uh, 2021. Now, this is Jaime. Since I did the amendment, I'd like to extend it to March 1st of 2020 to make it things simple. I'll second that. March 1 of 2021. Okay, there's a second on that amendment. Is there any discussion on the amendment? Uh, we'll have a vote on the amendment then. Mr. Miller? Yes. Mr. Scholde? Yes. Mr. Jaime? Yes. Mr. Deshook? Yes. Okay, and I'm a no. Uh, so that has now been amended. The original motion, I've got a tap back and forth here. So the motion now would read all state of Alaska marijuana handler cards, property license and current as of March 1st, 2020 shall continue to be valid until March 1st, 2021. So that would now be the amended motion before us. Is there any discussion of the motion? Okay. Um, I then have several major issues on this. Uh, one is, uh, I think this is done to, uh, help our staff, uh, the distancing issue of, uh, issuing handler cards, people not being in the office. And I appreciate that. I am not sure that, uh, I would feel good if I walked into a, a, a place and asked to see a handler's card and all of the people working handler's card expired six months ago. And I was not assured that they had retaken the, the test because we require all of the uh, handler cards uh, education programs and testing to be current with our regulations. We don't know if it expired and the person left the industry and hadn't worked in the industry for two years, but his card was still valid. And he suddenly went back to work after his card had expired and he had not taken the education. So I just think that we have to be careful in using the emergency to put us in a position where the regulation there to protect the public and to protect the employee and to assure the control office that all persons working in the industry uh, are current with the regulations, are current with uh, the education. And this limits that and it takes it away for a full year unless we rescind our action or change it. I want to caution us not to use this emergency to loosen our rules to the point where we lose some control over uh, the people working in the industry, 
uh, the background checks required for the people working in the industry. If you do a no renewal for a year, uh, somebody can come up with a conviction and we won't know about it. Somebody could do some harm and we wouldn't know about it. Uh, so I have some real issues with this. I don't think I want to take up the time to discuss those in detail, uh, but that's one of the reasons why uh, on the amended motion, I will still be a no. Are there any other discussion or are we ready to vote on the amended motion? Uh, no, this is Jaime again, since it's my amended motion. I thought we already voted on it, but having said that... Well, we, we voted on your amendment. We have not voted on the main motion. So we can all, as a board, we can choose to put it on uh, August, you know, extend it for a year, but reevaluate in August. If this pandemic goes away, then we can reassess the situation, can we not? Uh, you certainly could. So, so, uh, Mr. DeShook. The one, the one problem I would have with, with putting it on the agenda or, or moving things around... I just don't want to see where where we're enforcing things or, or we're having to look at have AMCO staff that are uncertain what the requirements are. So if you have a handler and they're they're extended for a year, then that's what's gonna be in their mind. I don't think that people are going to I don't think that there will be a lot of people that will keep keep up with it all the time, all the time, all the time. And so if we wanna review it or we've already passed the amendment, so with the with the year, if we're going to do it for a year, I would say that we would extend all of the licenses for a year and not review it until that year is up because it just creates confusion. I would think. And if we don't want to extend it that long, then maybe we should revisit that. Okay. Any other discussion, Mr. Miller? Mr. Uh, Miller, I have one. I have one question for the director. Please. Um, okay. Uh, so this was this was requested by the director. What on what I don't know, did he request it because under the current operating structure, he doesn't think they're going to get cards renewed in time? I, I'd like a little background on that. Mr. Klinkhart. There was a couple of reasons. Uh, as we worked on contingency plans on this and as things were progressing, it was number one also, yes, indeed, uh, Chairman is right, uh, trying to limit the uh, face time between staff and public and vice versa. And it was also that as things progressed, we were trying to look at ways that we could help the industry and the individuals so that, you know, although it may not seem like much, it's something that, that they, one less thing they have to worry about while everybody is also trying to worry about their jobs. So, and it did not come actually from industry. This came from discussions within AMCO. Does that answer your question, sir? It, it does. And, and, you know, I, I was on the fence about this, but the more I think about it, I assume we're doing all these by mail and remotely and, you know, you have to provide photos if you do things that way. I, I don't even know if passport photo businesses are even still open. You know, we have to remember this just doesn't touch AMCO. It touches other businesses as well. So I think I answered my own question. <laughs> okay. Any other discussion? Okay. So on the motion that all state of Alaska marijuana handlers cards properly licensed and current as of March 11, 2020, shall continue to be valid until March 1, 2021. Uh, Mr. Miller? Yes. Mr. Schulte? Yes. Mr. Jaime? Yes. Mr. Deshook? Yes. And I am a no. Passes on four to one vote.
So the next item is public testimony. Uh, we have stated on here that due to the circumstances, we may limit public testimony. I would like to, I don't know who's online or who uh, wants to testify, but I guess at this point, uh, I would like to uh, have the board weigh in. Uh, I would like to hear testimony from the Marijuana Industry Association and then close public testimony. We do have it on the agenda uh, at the end of the meeting again, but I think uh, given the time that we're at and uh, the business that we need to do, I would like to limit the public testimony to that group, one person. And if that's not acceptable to the board, we'll go ahead with public testimony, but I would like to make that suggestion. Mr. Jaime, I agree with you, Chairman. Any other members? Uh, I'm, I'm agreeable to that. Okay. Okay, then, uh, if there is a representative from the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association online uh, to provide uh, public testimony. Uh, this call is being recorded. If you do not wish to be recorded, please disconnect at this time. <laughs> no, somebody's recording us anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anybody from the marijuana industry online? Yes, Chairman Jones, this is Lacey Wilcox. Okay, Lacey, uh, please. Uh, we're going to limit the public testimony to your uh, discussion. So. Okay, no pressure, huh? Uh, okay. No, no All pressure. All right. <laughs> right. Uh, so thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, for the record, my name is Lacey Wilcox. I am the president of the Alaska Marijuana Industry Association, speaking today on behalf of the board of directors and our membership. Um, I appreciate this, this time, um, so thank you for that. Uh, before I begin, I want to extend our gratitude to the staff at AMCO for staying hard at work, uh, whether from their home or the AMCO office. Their focus, responses, and steady professionalism gives us assurance that our regulators will ensure the backbone of our industry structure is strong and unyielding. Um, so thank you, Director Klinkhart, Ms. Wilson, and everyone else that I cannot list in my limited comment period. We appreciate you. Um, on to our policy request. First, we ask that you, the board, table decisions on regulations that are not promulgated in response to COVID-19. Uh, given that lives are at stake, we understand that COVID-specific policies are the focus of your time today. We trust that you will make decisions with Alaskans in mind with an awareness as to the societal importance of safe access, especially during times of stress and uncertainty. We understand that Alaska is a recreational market by name, but the reality is many consumers purchase cannabis products for medical purposes. The simple fact is Alaskans are using cannabis as medicine. Cannabis products are essential to the health and well-being of many Alaskans. We ask that you, the board, instruct the staff of AMCO to explore more mechanisms for our industry to provide Alaskans the safest means of accessing cannabis. This will allow our businesses that are currently providing the safest access possible more opportunity to improve safe access for consumers, including those with medical needs and providing a safe safer work environment for our trusted employees. The AMI respectfully requests the board consider the following policy changes, which we will believe will mitigate the risk of community spread among consumers and our marijuana handler permit holders. With urgency and careful precautions, we attempt to comply with the governor's public health mandate number 11 that states public-facing businesses providing essential services and critical infrastructure will proactively promote social distancing between employees and others including but not limited to expanding delivery options, drive-through services, limiting the number of individuals in a building, clearly spacing lines to keep individuals six feet apart, or making appointment times to minimize interactions between members of the public. 
In addition to looking inward for solutions, we must also look outward towards other states for ideas and guidance. Other states, such as Illinois, Louisiana, and Michigan, have implemented measures that allow for curbside pickup. We hope this board can provide guidance and direction to enable and empower your staff to explore similar options that will reduce the risk of community spread in Alaskan communities. Per Alaska Statute 1738-121, this board is vested with the powers necessary to establish an enforcement plan. We encourage you to consider adjusting enforcement priorities and allow staff to collaborate with the industry. As flexible interpretations will be more expeditious than emergency regulation uh, and time is of the essence. Simple clarification for staff of what the definition of delivery is or the interpretation of regulations with instructions to enforcement to allow more time on delivery manifest between licenses, allow overnight stopovers, allow multiple transporters on a single manifest, and allow off-site product handoffs would serve to accommodate safe access for consumers safer working conditions for employees on the front lines, and further align our industry with the governor's mandate. Currently, transporters must enter a facility to deliver wholesale products. We request that you consider that delivery transactions could occur off-site. For example, at the airport parking lot, store parking lot, hotel, or other safe area. This policy shift could mitigate exposure risk and would further the protection of public health. Although some may argue that these changes may increase the possibility of diversion, we suggest that given the state tracking system in place, there is little, if any, added opportunity for diversion that does not already exist. However, the public safety advantages of making these changes are real and measurable in terms of reduced exposure. Again, we are asking that the board realign enforcement priorities to provide direction to your AMCO staff that as long as the goods leaving the supplier arrive at their destination correctly, intact, and as described, the hardline requirements of how it gets there should be relaxed during this time. We ask that you instruct enforcement to allow manifested transport of product in checked luggage on commercial airlines so that wholesale deliveries can occur with fewer human transporters and fewer human-to-human -human contacts. This would allow wholesalers to use a single transporter who can deliver larger quantities without having to enlist other transporters due to carry-on limits. Checked inventory could be handled similarly to firearms at the TSA oversized kiosk. Again, this is in the interest of public health. We suggest you could further advance public health with an even more mitigating solution, allowing the entire wholesale order to be gold streak or sent via air cargo to a licensed distributor. In a nutshell, we are asking that you treat product transfers similar to a chain of evidence procedure in law enforcement. Package departs facility A, then arrives at facility B, intact as described, and that's it. It's simple, it's enforceable, and it's safe. If your immediate reaction is to oppose our proposed changes, we ask you to pause and remember these changes do not have to be forever. But they are requests that, if granted, will curb the risk of community spread in this challenging and unique time period. If after deliberation of our requested changes, you still find yourself rejecting our request, we then ask that you please offer viable alternatives. If you cannot provide viable alternatives, we ask that you justify why objections to these safety measures would outweigh the benefits to public health and safety that would occur if our suggested changes to policy interpretations were quickly implemented. So please hear our call right now. For Welcome to the GCI Conference Center. Thank you. Please stand by. She's so close now, 
people um, under age, but also um, with the governor's COVID-19 uh, mandate. So uh, we haven't had any problems with any of our marijuana licensees, no complaints that they're having group sessions. Uh, to the contrary, as uh, Ms. Wilcox uh, stated, and, and I know that they've been doing, is working very hard to ensure the safety of staff and people. So that's good. The fact I have not had any formal complaints tells, says a, a lot about uh, folks. However, if we do, um, it's those sort of issues that are going to be number one in the priority. I also have to take into consideration from enforcement uh, putting our people, our enforcement officers in harm's way. They do have CE should, in some cases, they have to go out. Um, we are limiting any sort of uh, contact. And we're, we're working on other things, including virtual yeah. uh, review sites, yeah, sites like that. Excuse me, there are some people having a conversation in the background and if they could mute their phones, please. Go ahead, Mr. Glenkart. Thank you. Um, basically, I'll just end, end with saying that uh, where we've been working with uh, Anchorage Police and the troopers, uh, and uh, they have been sharing information with us, and we're supporting them as best we can. They, too, are also prioritizing public safety uh, as, as their priority, and we're going to support them as well. So um, that seems to be, unless any board members have any other thoughts or ideas about priorities, that's kind of what we're working on. So. Chena Cannabis, North Pole Cannabis Dispensary, 1725 Richardson Highway, between North Pole and Fairbanks, right before the Badger Road exit. You're going to love this place. Convenient access right off the highway. On the way out of town, stock up on some of my favorite in-house strains. Big Smooth, Fruity Pebbles, always a $5 pre-roll special, and $10 grams. Flour, edibles, concentrates, and your smoking accessory needs. Check out the full menu on leafly.com. Open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 10 p.m., Saturday 10 to 10, Sunday noon to 8. You don't have to drive all the way to Fairbanks for your cannabis needs. Save your time. Get your quality cannabis at Chena Cannabis, your North Pole Cannabis Dispensary. Chena Cannabis. Marijuana has intoxicating effects and may be habit-forming and addictive. Marijuana impairs concentration, coordination, and judgment. Do not operate a vehicle or machinery under its influence. There are health risks associated with consumption of marijuana. For use only by adults 21 and older, keep out of the reach of children. Marijuana should not be used by women who are pregnant or breastfeeding. I was asking Ms. Wilson if she could let us know what uh, we might be able to delegate to uh, the director, uh, what uh, other changes we might be able to make due to uh, any emergency ability we might have given the uh, mandates and uh, orders from uh, the governor. Uh, very good, sir. May I, may I add just one preface? To two questions, responses. Uh, the first is that when the director and I were discussing whether he required any additional authority, we really had no idea how well the board meetings were going to go. Um, we we thought we made the same request of both the ABC board for you to at least talk about it and of your board as well. So I add, unless Director Klinkhart can think of another situation, you know. I, we may not need this delegation, 
um, unless things get much worse than what we're facing here in the state. But as to what you could delegate, seven, Statute 1738-150 provides the director's current authority, um, and it's generally an authority to, you know, to act at your behest, um, and that any approval he gives is not binding upon the board. There is a last sentence that says the board may delegate to the director any duty imposed by this chapter except its power to propose and adopt regulations. And then if you went back to the powers and duties of the board and 121, we would just go through each list and see if there's anything you thought the it might behoove the director to have. But with my process there, do you even want to have that discussion? After that, I do want to tell you, uh, I want to just convey to you what's happening with the emergency declaration and how the alcohol board addressed some of its laws that the industry wanted some uh, repose from. But maybe I can just end this inquiry on, on emergency powers and, and wait and hear what you'd like or what you think. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think that as far as uh, meetings and granting other delegated authority, I think we're still okay. I do think, and, and maybe other board members would disagree, but I think of concern to some of the members have been the requests that have come from the uh, Marijuana Industry Association related to some issues that I think have been exacerbated by some of the mandates. And I think we need to understand how we can proceed in that way, but I will back up and state, is there any board member who wishes to have the discussion about whether we want to look at the list in 1738-121 to determine if any of those we want to delegate, or would we rather pass over those and just begin our discussion about potential uh, regulatory changes to help the uh, marijuana industry since COVID-19. Uh, Mr. Chairman, Bruce Schulte? Mr. Schulte. Um, wh while I'm looking up the referenced regulation of 1738, I, I would be interested in hearing what the alcohol board did because they're, they're facing some similar problems, although their regulatory process is different. Mr. Chair, um, they did not delegate any additional authority to the director. I, I will go out. I can, though address what requests they made of the governor to uh, ease some of the burden on the industry. But I'll do that whenever. And, I, I'm, I'm and, and like if, I think, if I think those requests were because a lot of the alcohol authority is, is in the statute as opposed to regulation. Well, no, there's an actual statute about the governor's authority that applies to regulations uh, as well. So I, that's okay. what I apprise you of. Okay. So maybe you could do that and that'll help us a little bit. The alcohol board, just to cut to the chase, took an advisory vote to request the governor to suspend prohibitions on restaurants and breweries, other entities that have only the ability to serve alcohol on their premises to permit off-premises. So in essence, what they did was permit initially people that when they're picking up their orders of pizza or whatnot to get a bottle of wine along with that. They also permitted liquor stores to allow that same curbside pickup. 
Um, next Wednesday, they are holding an additional meeting to address whether to uh, whether to make a request of the governor regarding home deliveries, but they put that off until another. So the reason they did it that way, and the reason I, I think emergency regulations, we can discuss what it is, is that many of our laws, when it comes to enforcement of our laws, involve both civil and criminal liability. And no matter what we do here as a board, if licensees can be exposed to criminal liability for their actions, it doesn't behoove us to work, in my opinion, without working with the Department of Law and the governor's office. And under the Governor's Emergency Powers Act, the governor has a number of initial authorities, but he may suspend the provisions of any regulatory statute prescribing procedures for the conduct of state business or the orders or regulations of any state agency if compliance with the provisions of the statute, order, or regulation would prevent or substantially impede or delay action necessary to cope with the disaster emergency. So by way of the um, curbside delivery, individuals from the industry testifying, we're, we're talking about increasing safety, not only for the consumer, but for the salesperson of a, let's say a liquor store that their, their interaction would be limited and the consumer would not have to go into the store. And um, after they took that advisory vote, I'm still in the process of moving that um, up through the Department of Law to the governor's office, who will address, when he addresses public health mandates, may expand or, as the board directs. I, I don't currently know the current status of that. But so one thing we might consider is under this authority, if there's some statute or regulation, the compliance of which you think would make it difficult to cope with this disaster emergency, you can take an advisory vote and request the governor to suspend those. Uh, we can also look through each of your regulations and determine if you also want to uh, try to issue emergency regulations. The question with that is we have to make sure in doing that we're also not exposing the licensees to criminal liability because their jurisdiction is primarily civil through license action. Mr. So, so uh, thank you. Um, so, kind of going back to some of the comments yesterday from the uh, AMIA uh, president, there's a. Uh, it seems like there's a couple of things potentially we could do to help these businesses and you know deal deal you know, operate effectively under the current social, uh, circumstances. Um, but my question for Ms. Wilson is if if these things would be. Uh, are things we could do. So, so the first one would be allowing for curbside pickup, perhaps with a stipulation that that the transaction you know had to be conducted within view of their security cameras, so that we maintain a record of the transaction. Because um, obviously, we don't want them, we don't want teenagers taking advantage advantage of this to pull up and buy some weed and drive off. Um, would something like that be? Uh, uh, achievable. I mean, is that something we could do in the form of an emergency regulation? Um, yes. So the ABC board considered, I don't think they got to the point of doing emergency regulations. Maybe that'll be a subject they address next Friday. But for example, they wanted to make sure that if someone delivered alcohol 
to someone's car, they made sure the per- car, they made sure the person who was in the car, one was of age and two was not restricted from receiving it. And in their thinking, they were going to require that individual to have a tax card. Um, so they could also assess, you know, whether they were drunk under the influence, et cetera. So one way to do that is, I think just as you're saying, ask, I, maybe it's twofold. Tell the governor which laws you would, laws or regulations you would like to suspend of the emergency and then develop through emergency regulations how you would nevertheless protect the public. And everything you just mentioned there protects the, protects the public and minors especially. Okay. Well, Beth, this is Jaime. Are we getting ahead of, uh, ahead of ourselves? The bars are closed to the public. They can't go in right now, so that's why they want to do this curbside. Uh, to my knowledge, the marijuana shops are still, yeah. are still open. That is a fair point. Right. But, but let me say the liquor stores are still open, too, and they also requested this accommodation, um, and the ABC board voted for it as well. So I, I now, was that just I to, to show like the, they were together on the same purpose, or was there a purpose behind it? I, I really I mean, think was there a separate purpose? From what I understood from the industry was public safety that they wanted to limit the consumers having to go into the stores and to um, I guess protect the safety of the retail staff as well. So that was my I, and I understand all those those are valid points and, and public health I'm I'm huge on public safety absolutely but if you look at let's say Costco or these other businesses they're enacting policies where they only allow you know a certain number of people in the building so you know based on the square footage of these marijuana shops the business itself they can say if they're really concerned about public health they can say well unless uh, you know only two people in that at a time and that would negate us having to vote on any of this and let's leave how regulations are or how they are now. Through the, through the chair, Mr. Miller. Oh, Mr. Miller. So, Mr. Jaime, um, the things you're talking about, I would say uh, 100% of the marijuana businesses has already done that. I, but I think what the industry is trying to do is to meet the governor's health mandate, I think 11, that if you can make changes um, to better protect health and safety, then you should do that, right? And and that's what the industry is trying to do. Customers are asking for it. They don't want to come in. Um, employees are concerned. So if you can do something to better meet the health mandate that can be done safely and does extend the public health protections that are already in place, it would it would make sense that we would do them. And I think that's what the industry is asking for. It would, but the proposals that the industry asked for earlier aren't accomplishing any of those. They truly are not. I know, and I want to be a supporter of the industry. Even as the public safety seat, I want to support the industry, and their proposals are just latching the regulations. They are not protecting public health, public safety. They can do that, take that upon themselves, and in that, you know, policies tailored to their businesses. Uh, I, I understand that we are on the phone and we are having a discussion. I would still like uh, for persons who want to speak to be recognized through the chair so that we're a little bit more organized and having an, an open discussion uh, or around a round table, which we can't do, which I wish we could do because I, I find this topic interesting, but I would like to, to do this. Um, I think that 
we we sort of see the two sides. So one is uh, curbside pickup uh, has been talked about. Is there any discussion specifically on that that we could give, I guess, instructions to the attorneys to include in any request that we might formulate to go to the governor? I will just say that curbside pickup for alcohol may be different um, in that you need to verify that they're not impaired and you need to verify that they're 21. Uh, our regulations go a little bit beyond in that the purchase, the person purchasing the marijuana needs to be present. You cannot order over the internet. Uh, you can't sell over the internet. And so how would a marijuana business know who ordered what, either via the telephone or something, and then they would package that. Uh, you cannot pay with a credit card, so there has to be a payment scheme, and then deliver it to a vehicle curbside or to a person standing outside, which is not much different than somebody standing inside and continue to verify that this is the person who actually ordered it, that they aren't impaired, that they have the right ID. I, I, I raised those because I think not only would we, there are probably two or three different sets of, or places in the regulations that the attorney would need to address to the governor in their request in order to allow the curbside pickup. There's more than just uh, delivery. And, and I think though our rules are different enough from the alcohol rules that we we need to consider. But I'm not uh, I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just saying if if we want to explore this this issue, then I think we need to be clear to the attorney that we would like to explore this, that we would like to have the governor suspend the rules or whatever. Otherwise, if we're going to do emergency regulations, we have to be really clear because then I think the Attorney is going to have to draft those regulations, uh, and then there is a process. So it's not immediate regulation. We do it today, and we walk out the door. It's uh, it's probably a process that might take us a week or a week and a half. So I just want to talk about curbside pickup. Is that one that we continue to explore, and would ask the attorney to uh, look at all of those issues, and then we can move on, uh, Mr. Miller. It doesn't feel like we're following the process under AS 4462-250 emergency regulations. So I just want to understand how we want to accomplish these and that is our counsel. Well, it's a twofold process. The, the first is to determine if you want to request the governor to suspend any regulation, which does not require an emergency um, declaration. Um, it requires, obviously, the initial emergency declaration, but it does go through the level of review that emergency regulations go through. So that's one approach is to just say, is there are there some sections in here that you'd like to suspend enforcement both civilly and criminally? I'm, then I move it to the governor's office. The other approach is to say, 
we're going to do a combination of that. We're going to say what to suspend, but we're going to issue emergency regulations about what safety measures to put in place during that suspension. And that's something that I think, you know, just as the chair said, I would be drafting up why this is an emergency, why this is a public health need, why it needs to be done without public without public comment, et cetera, and move that separately through through the Department of Law, through the legal and regulation section. The third approach is to just decide. Um, it, I guess you as the, you can decide to suspend any civil enforcement of your requirements, meaning that their license will not be in, in jeopardy, and you can do that through emergency regulations, but is that a full solution for your licensee? If the Department of Law or the Criminal Division or other entities are concerned about curbside delivery of marijuana. I know I had a big discussion with the criminal section regarding the initial request of the um, ABC board. And I, I understand that your requirements are more in regulation than in statute, but um, the criminal division is really not happy about things going through without kind of their review because enforcement is an issue that is broader than the marijuana control board. I, I'd say you can, whatever you civilly have the jurisdiction over, you continue to have the jurisdiction over and you can suspend, extend, um, do what you believe is appropriate to respond to the public health emergency through, emerg through emergency regulations. Um, if you want to address the criminal portion, then you want me to take things uh, forward and request the governor to suspend them as well. Uh, okay, Mr. Deshook. The thing that I, I'm cautioning us about is we're, we're going through emergency to change a lot of these regulations. It's going to take a while to make sure that we get all of this put in place, and it's an important time. But on the back end of this, it's also going to be something that we have to consider how you, how you roll any of this back. And I don't think it's going to be as easy to roll these things back as what we may be uh, viewing it. So acting quickly because of the emergency declaration may not be in in our best interest regulating the industry. Emergency regulations terminate after 120 days from adoption unless the board votes to make them permanent and goes through all the other procedures of the Administrative Procedure Act. Can we tie those to the uh, health mandates? That's a big question. And, and the way to do that is, are you... Let me take a step back. Are you doing this to provide a better financial ability for the licensees to operate during this disaster, or are you doing taking measures to protect public health? The governor's power of suspension primarily because this is called a public health emergency is to suspend laws and regulations, the enforcement of which would impede public health. So if you want to fall under what I believe the governor has the authority to do, you want to fall on the public health end of that spectrum. It doesn't mean that your licensees don't have financial needs, and that's why they're coming to the board requesting accommodations. But I don't believe financial needs are, are sufficient under our current declaration. If there were a financial declaration of emergency, I might argue otherwise, but I haven't seen that in place yet. Do you have any follow-up, Mr. Jaime? 
Uh, no real follow up. I, I just think we're we're getting ahead of the the game. I'm with kind of with Mr. Or I am with Mr. Deshu here. You know, think policy is always more difficult to roll back once they're out there because people will end up liking them, especially if it relaxes regulations. This is a public health issue. My personal recommendation is we just leave things how they are right now. We've been responsive to the industry, and if things get a lot worse, then we can always have an emergency meeting in the future and uh, adjust as necessary. But as of right now, I, I don't think we need to. We're not getting ahead of the game. We're just going around the game. I just think we need to take a step back and let things settle. And if it gets worse, then we have emergency meeting and we can reassess. Re- uh, Mr. Schultz. I, I kind of agree with, with what Mr. Jaime said. I, I have a question actually from Mr. Miller. Um, I, the, the thing I'm wrestling with is, is Mr. Jaime's comment that you know, these, the retail stores are still open. They can still conduct business, but they have to really change up their, their, their processes, limiting how many people are in the building and, and, and so forth. It's super inconvenient, but they but they can still conduct business. So I guess I'm just trying to gauge how how urgent this is for the industry. And that as a retail store owner, I guess I'm, that's why I'm putting the question to you. I, I don't know how urgent is the health of our public and our employees. It's not convenient to send an employee out to the curb to deliver product to somebody. This is not a convenience measure. We have individuals, customers, and employees both who are concerned about their health. And if we can do something to better meet the health mandates, why wouldn't we do it? This is, I got to be honest with you, it's inconvenient as hell, right? Because different stores are going to implement things different ways. And it's not easier to have your employee outside the building by any means. It's not cheaper. We're not going to charge for the curbside delivery. This is to keep separation in the public. And as an example, at my shop, I allow three people in at a time. And people still are concerned about their health, including my employees and the public. I hear about it a dozen times a day. I had a customer come into my store, I think it was Monday, and we're standing there and they like the selection and we're talking. I said, next time I'll call and have you deliver. And I'm like, well, we can't deliver. It's against statute, right? Regulations. Well, I had some delivered Saturday. And I'm like, okay, you probably did have some delivered Saturday, but it wasn't by a licensed marijuana establishment. And they had no clue. They thought what they did was perfectly legal. I can go to the internet right now and call three or four places and have them deliver marijuana to my home. And they're not licensed. Consumers still don't understand. I, I don't know. I mean, you can see I'm a little worked up. I have, you know, my employees are worried. I'm worried. Our customers are worried. And if we can do something to better meet the health mandate, it makes sense to me to do it. And I guess that's where I'm at. Uh, Mr. Jaime. Nick, I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I'm all about you know, keeping people employed. There's a lot of people that are unemployed now. Just today, we went, went up to, what, 4.4%, 770,000 jobs lost last month. That's... Uh, it's unfortunate for everybody. But, you know, if we sit here and try to pass these emergency regulations, I can see the governor just shutting down the businesses altogether because he doesn't like what we're passing. So we need to be aware of that as well. Uh, you know, and if employers are really that nervous or, or scared about their employees, which I am, I mean, I don't leave the house. My kids haven't left the house in two weeks. You know, you can all shut down the business.
Uh, if, if I might interject here, I think that uh, uh, Mr. Miller is uh, rightly concerned. I know that the industry has uh, worked toward, you know, providing that in terms of the number of employees. I think there's been some KTUU interviews, uh, at least one or two establishments in Anchorage, about how they are social distancing. Uh, one of the health mandates uh, talks about if you are a non-essential business, uh, you can still operate if you can provide the six-foot physical distancing uh, and still run your business. For many retail shops, marijuana shops, retail shops, that's almost impossible. And so we've had souvenir shops, uh, T-shirt shops, clothing shops basically shut down because there's no way they could have a transaction between a customer and a service provider maintaining that distance given the products that they deliver. In that health mandate that talks about if you're not an essential business, you must close, there is definitions. Uh, Costco, grocery stores are by definition essential services. In the list the city and borough Juno had in our mandate before it was superseded by the governor, uh, marijuana industry was an essential service. It is not on the list put out by the governor's office. And so they're still open, I think. So whether we do curbside pickup or not, I think maybe we could explore some of those issues. I think one of the more urgent uh, issues, uh, especially for Southeast, and uh, I think probably for Mr. Miller's business out in Bethel, um, is transport. We now are down from 12 flights a day with Alaska Airlines to Juneau to seven. Uh, we have uh, today, I've seen in the Anchorage paper where Raven Air has basically decreased their service by 90%. Two days ago, uh, well, last night, we had a report from our emergency operations center and Juno had 35 arriving passengers yesterday from all of the airlines or whatever that uh, enter into our airport. Uh, that's down from probably close to 800 a day. And, and I think for the industry that has product that needs to go from Anchorage or Fairbanks to Southeast or vice versa or to Bethel, basically the governor has said in the travel mandate that if you're not providing an essential service, you shouldn't be traveling. And I think some of the issues that I know Mr. Miller will raise, and I'm sorry to jump the gun on you, but that the industry is looking at is how can we help them uh, with the transport given this situation, but I think we run up against some rules with uh, uh, feds in terms of uh, cargo or airline or whatever, uh, but I think we also need to discuss that. I think that may be as important to the industry as the curbside, and it may not be as much for uh, Anchorage and, uh, and Matsu and Fairbanks being on the road system or the Kenai, but certainly for Utiavik, which we just approved, Cotsview, Nome, uh, Southeast Alaska, that's some, that's some pretty heavy issues. And I know that there's some idea of, of can we allow Gold Street? Can we allow product to go with a manifest in cargo? And I, I don't know the answers to all of those, but I think not to pass over the curbside pickup, but there may be, uh, a better way that we can deal with this. And maybe Ms. Wilson can say whether or not we can request of the governor those rules change when it involves transportation on federally regulated carriers, I guess. 
Um, I and, don't think he has that jurisdiction, Mr. Chair. He might be able to request it of the president. Mr. Miller. I'm not asking, or I don't think the industry is asking that the board approve us to transport marijuana on any airline. I think what we're asking for is approval to transfer product through a carrier like you would several items, right? Like they do, like it said in the testimony, evidence. If there's a charter company that is flying to, I'll use Bethel as an example because I go there and they accept my shipment, I want to be able to do that. There are air carriers, smaller charter companies who will accept it, but by regulation, we can't do it. So I just want to make sure that we don't hamstring ourselves because we think we're requiring a company like Alaska Airlines to transport anything for us. We're asking for the ability to use carriers in, in general. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, I may have gotten a little carried away, but uh, for Southeast, uh, I'm not sure we have that. Uh, Ms. Wilson. If it's of any um, convenience to you, what the alcohol board did was, you know, come up with some advisory votes, but they still wanted to address matters further. So they scheduled an emergency meeting for next week. And if you gave me assignments, that would give me time to try to get some answers for you for some of those questions. So, Mr. Jaime, is that you? Yes. I just have a quick question uh, for, I'm guessing you and Nick, actually, and uh, Mr. Schulte. You know, if they want to use carriers, let's say Hagman Airlines or Hagman Aviation, let's just say they, they agree to it, then they're receiving funds or proceeds from the marijuana business, and they have to claim that. Do they not? And then would that jeopardize, you know, their livelihood of loans and everything else? I mean, I've heard horror stories from various board members that, you know, banks want to just shut their accounts. So, I mean, are we doing the right thing by placing this burden or, you know, on the airlines? Uh, Mr. Miller. And I, and I really don't know, yeah. so please answer. Yeah. And, and I would say this, that we're not placing a burden on anyone other than the industry because the industry has very limited options to transport through a state that has very limited transportation options. I'm just considering why would we, why wouldn't we lift the burden off of the industry? And if there are some other small businesses throughout the state who want to work with the industry and who have the transport means necessary, give them the opportunity to, to do it. It's a business decision for them. It's a personal decision for them. So we're not burdening them. We can't make them do it. It's a choice they can make. But right now, they can't make that choice. That That's where I'm at. I, I can't go to yeah. Alaska Airlines and say, Marijuana Control Board said I could ship this in cargo. Here, you must take it, right? I can't do that. But there are plenty of other small businesses in the state who fly charter services who would be happy to take that product and transport it to wherever. Mr. Hyman. I'll just say, uh, will the Marijuana Control Board be notified of which businesses are doing this so that it's regulated in some fashion? Who have a list of businesses um, that are participating? Uh, Mr. Jaime, I think we would learn that from our director uh, and our enforcement staff is I believe the way, and again, stepping on Nick a little bit, uh, maybe also through the attorney, what would happen is right now, uh, if you have uh, five pounds of button flour in your cultivator and you are selling that to a retailer someplace, 
you have all the batch numbers, uh, you enter those into metric that you're selling that product, you're producing a travel manifest that says so-and-so is going to pick up this product from my business. They are going to immediately go to this other business and they are going to deliver that product. When that business receives it, they sign off on that manifest. They enter that information into metrics. So there is a trail that says it went from cultivator A to retail business B, uh, moved from Fairbanks to Kenai, uh, the date, the time. So if we were to or get an access to operate the way Mr. Miller described, they would fill out the manifest, they would fill out the travel manifest, and they would say this product is going from Fairbanks to Bethel. It is going on this particular carrier uh, on these dates, on that date and that flight, and then the receiving in Bethel would fill out the, the metric that they received the product. If there was a discrepancy between that, then AMCO would know about that because it would be in metric. It would operate the same way, except instead of having it personally with a person picks it up and a person, same person delivers it, uh, this would go through a carrier. So we, in essence, would have that tracking through metric. I think that's the way I would envision that it would work. And so we would have that information without sort of having to have a separate list of which uh, carriers are willing to to provide that service. If you remember a couple of meetings back, we had an NOV or somebody that shipped something in cargo and you saw the tabs and stuff. And basically uh, that carrier was the one that questioned whether that should be done and could be done and an NOV was issued. But that's how I would perceive how we would work this. And that would be to basically protect people from having more contact and doing more travel than they otherwise would uh, because the air carrier or whatever carrier is going to go from point A to point B anyway, and this would just be more cargo. So, Mr. Uh, Miller, did I describe what I think you were envisioning correctly? And, and then to the attorney, that would be something I guess I would ask you to research. You described it very well. I would say the manifest is probably a little more detailed um, in information, yeah, I, but other than that, it, it was a good description. Yeah, I, I'm not as familiar with what goes on in the manifest, although I've read some of them. They've been terribly confusing to me. But but anyway, I think that would be the process. So we would have that information, Mr. Hyman. Ms. Wilson, is I sort of like your suggestion if we could get things on the table that you could research and then we could mm -hmm. call a meeting soon. Uh, I know that may not be as quick as the industry would like, but we're in a government that generally doesn't move very fast, even in an emergency. <laughs> While you were speaking, I was reviewing 3 AAC 306-750, your rules on transport, and I haven't yet seen the portion of it that would prevent what you're saying. So, one, I may not have seen it yet, but two, I'll have to look beyond your regu regulations to carriers as well. And I will rely on Mr. Miller's expertise as much as he lets me. My question related to that is, do you think this is going to impact, impact growers trying to get their products tested, not being able to transport them to the lab? Uh, I, uh, to the attorney, I, I believe so. Uh, it, it is a discussion that we had at an assembly meeting, and I believe uh, Ms. Wilcox from the marijuana industry was at our assembly meeting. We did have that discussion. Uh, we were at that meeting when the governor put in the intrastate travel mandate, 
or the interstate and but not the interstate uh, but yes, it was an area that she brought up at the assembly. We did have that discussion, and it is a problem with getting. Uh, we do not have a manu- edible manufacturer outside of a couple of products that Top Hat does in Juno. So all edibles have to come from outside Juno. But anything sold from Juno uh, to someplace else or even within Juno has to be tested. So it has to either go to Anchorage or Ketchikan. Uh, both of which require air transport. So I think in the testing regulations, uh, the delivery process would have to be looked at as well. Mr. Miller. I, I would agree with, agree with you. I've been through these transportation regulations 20 times, and the items we are talking about are not prohibited. The issue is, is we require transporters to have a marijuana handler's card. And based mm-hmm. on that interpretation, obviously... Joe's cargo isn't going to have a marijuana handler's card. So I think we've kind of, you know, based on our interpretation of the regulations, that's where we got to, it had to be in the transporter's possession the entire time. I've read these regulations 50 50 times over, and there's nothing in there that prohibits what we're talking about other than the marijuana handler's card. Well, and and the fact that it has to be in possession the whole time, and uh, they can't say that if it goes from point A to point B with a third party that that isn't part of the manifest and doesn't have a marijuana handler's card. But I think that's, again, what the attorney could could look at. I I can request the governor to suspend portions of regulation. So it might be... You know, suspend the need that the that the individual be in possession and that the they hold a manager handler permit. So there might be um, a quick release for your licensees, and then if you have additional concerns about how to ensure the safety of the product getting from A A to B, we can expand those in your regulations. Or the other thing that the alcohol board did is they gave I think Director Klinkhart some director some authority to publish a guidance. And director, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought that's what I heard about how to ensure that, for example, curbside um, pickup of alcohol wouldn't lead to uh, further harm to minors or the population at large. So uh, we have talked about curbside pickup. Uh, We have talked about transport. Was there any other portion? Yeah, I'm sorry. This is Director Klinkart. Um, You talked about curbside. There was two two other things, um, and that was adjustment of of enforcement priorities, which was also discussed during the ABC board meeting, uh, and um, delivery, uh, home, home delivery. That's what I have on my list. Over. Mr. Miller. Sorry. um, I had some more transportation issues I'd like to talk about if possible before okay. we get off this sure. topic. So one sure. of the issues I would like to talk about is, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about using what I would call transportation carriers. I, okay. I also wanted to talk about allowing handoffs of product. As an example, transporter A gets on a plane in Bethel or in Anchorage and he flies to Bethel. Instead of leaving the airport, and heading to town, he could hand that product off to an employee of said marijuana retail store and then 
immediately get back on the aircraft to leave town. That's not prohibited in our regulations that I could find, but somehow that's how where we've gotten to, and I'm not sure how. I don't know if it's the way we've interpreted transportation, and I guess I'm looking for some guidance from the attorney. And if it is in regulation, I would ask that, as we're discussing this whole transportation thing, that we be able to hand off from one transporter to a next and have, you know, the secondary transporter get it to the finish line, if that makes sense. I, I think that would be uh, another piece of the transport that I think the attorney can look at. I would just say that one is we, we are trying to protect the public, so that's still a one-to-one transfer of persons. Uh, the other issue I might have is, and one that has sort of been a bone of contention under some NOVs, you know, the immediately weighing in, uh, if the product's contaminated and the transporter's already back on the airplane and you have it in Bethel and you determine once you opened it that this is a product that is uh, not good, you still have to enter it into your system and then waste it out as opposed to returning it, saying this product is not acceptable to us. So uh, I think there's some issues there, but that may be going beyond what your concern is, and, and that'll have to just be worked out with the industry that uh, you won't order from that vendor again if their product continues to show up and not be acceptable to you. But is there anything else that Mr. Miller or anybody else related to transport that you would like the attorney to deal with? One of the other ones I had was apparently, and I ha- and I haven't run up against this problem, but but, care, uh, but companies from probably the southeast and others have. Apparently, we're not allowing overnight stays, like an overnight overnight holdover. Company A comes up to Anchorage from Juneau, has a bunch of deliveries in Anchorage. Apparently, based on something, it, and it might be uh, an interpretation, they can't stay in a hotel that night and get up the next day to go to Fairbanks. If they have things in Fairbanks, they have to go directly there, which, you know, it seems like we're keeping people up maybe way past the hours that would be safe. But but I can't find the prohibition on that as well. So, uh, Mr. Miller, I think it's uh, one to go directly and that unless city being transported Marijuana must remain in a licensed premise. But I think what has happened here in Southeast, and I think sometimes in Kenai or maybe out to Kodiak, without enforcement here, uh, I'm not sure I get it right, but a transporter would find another marijuana business, say in Anchorage, and store it there overnight while they went to a hotel, and then would pick it up the next day. And that has happened several times. And I think that was allowable. We had talked about that as a regulation to have, I forget the term, it's almost like a a holdover place so that, you know, if somebody from Fairbanks was going to Juneau and the flights got delayed, you know, or something, they could have a place that they could, somebody else would come up with a better idea. And and if the attorney and Director Klinkhart talked to James Holsher, I'm sure that he would have the correct terminology, but that is something we had talked about before, and I don't think we've ever put that as part of a regulation. But I do believe it has to do with uh, the most expedited way and that product not actively being transported uh, needed to be within a uh, licensed facility, and a hotel is not a licensed facility in a hotel room. 
is not a licensed facility. Uh, but but that, that, again, I think the attorney can look at, and I, I agree with you. I think we need to address that because that's been a concern for quite a while with the industry. Ms. Wilson. Uh, that is an issue that I actually see the argument could be made that that exposes the transporter to greater danger of COVID, contracting COVID because they're staying in a hotel overnight where that virus might be present. So I, I need your help in figuring out how that request is a response to the COVID emergency or if that's simply a separate regulations request. I would say that if I was transporting marijuana from point A to point B and based on just the amount of hours it takes to get from point A to point B, that if I drive halfway, stay in a hotel, and the marijuana stays in my possession, and then I get up the next morning and drive to Fairbanks, marijuana was in transportation mode, and it was really the most direct way to get there. I look at it yeah. as that's perfectly acceptable. And I could, you know, uh, I'm looking for input from the board. Mr. Jaime. Yeah, you know, that violates, and just using that example of driving, let's say, from Kenai to Fairbanks, that completely violates Health Mandate 12 as far as community, community it, travel. I mean, it violates it. And I should make some clarifications here for Mr. Jaime, if that's okay. Under the health mandates, marijuana businesses under 20 employees are an essential business. The only thing that, well, it's not the only thing we have to do, but we have to file a health plan with the state and we have to file a travel plan with the state which I would say 95% of the businesses have done. And in one of the governor's press conferences, I think it was this week or last, they did say that marijuana businesses who meet the requirements of number 20 and can meet the health mandates are considered essential businesses. It didn't come from the governor itself. I don't remember the gentleman it came from, but they did actually say that and put it on the record. So... We are considered... And, and then I believe Health Mandate 12 came out and superseded all of that. Uh, attachment, the, formerly Attachment A is what we're talking about. And that's the last one that came out. I don't know if the attorney wants to comment on that, but... I honestly would... I mean, I think Mr. Jaime's raising a good point, and I haven't looked into the attachments to uh, make the argument you are making, Mr. Miller, but I can look into that. I don't know what preceded what and what carried over. And, and I agree. I, I thought I was very familiar with the health mandates and I have never seen marijuana businesses with under 20 employees would be essential. Um, yeah, it's your job to I, know. You should just know that shit and research it before. Oh my. <laughs> Please. Uh, we are not taking public testimony uh, and we are struggling to be responsive to the industry. So please mute your phone. Thank you. We will add that to the issues that the attorney needs to review. Um, any other discussion on transportation that we feel is related, uh, changes we need that's related to COVID? Uh, Mr. Deshock. Kind of a wrap-up thought on the transportation thing, COVID-related. Some of, some of the stuff before us are things that I am uncertain whether or not they would benefit industry, benefit consumers, benefit the public. But the transportation piece in this time, number one, I don't know what the level of business looks like, but our local airlines are hurting. I would think that whatever, number one, if we're going to eventually streamline or if we're looking at moving towards this, 
uh, I think it's something that we should streamline because any business that we can get to the airlines is important, especially if you're not located directly on the road system. And number two, if it's something that we that we're looking at doing and we don't see any problem with it through an emergency through this order, the way that I understood it from the attorney, we're going to have a chance to review it later on in 120 days. I don't think that we as a board need to delay on the transportation issue. There were two other uh, issues. Uh, uh, enforcement priorities, I think uh, Director Klinkhart can work on that. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily a regulation as much as it is a plan, both for the protection of our own staff and uh, the providers. Home delivery, is there any board member that wants to discuss that particular option or have the attorney look at that particular option? Okay, hearing none, I guess what I would like to propose then um, is we potentially like the alcohol board would like to set a another meeting in a week to uh, review what the attorney has done. And, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself because it seemed like the alcohol board at least passed some motions, uh, maybe irrespective of whether the attorney had done the review or so I guess uh, just to back up a little bit here would we be able to formulate or with your help formulate a uh, motion uh, making that request to the governor and then you would fill in the details or should we ask you to do the research and have another meeting before we formally request any action from the governor? Well, let me uh, say this, Mr. Chair. It was a mutiny in the last half hour of the meeting. I was actually requesting the ability to research, but um, the board, through its authority and discretion, decided it wanted to recommend some provisions to the governor to suspend they, they gave me a general outline of their concerns, and then what I have been doing in the meanwhile is looking up the general outlines of their concerns and then finding the regulation or statute that, that uh, they want suspended and moving that up the line. So you could provide an advisory vote about what your concerns are for transportation and or curbside uh, pickup. At a certain point, um, Mr. Chair, your former counsel, Harriet, Vinegar was very kind to relay some additional questions, not related to regulations, but some issues she thought might be of interest to your board So, and to public health and safety. So if there's any time for me address, to address those with you, I'd like to do that too. You want to ask the attorney to do uh, some research on this and we will schedule a meeting as quickly as possible uh, next week that we can notice the meeting, look at what the attorney has uh, has found and go from there. What would be the preference of the board, Mr. Schultz? I mean, I hate to continually punch stuff down the road, but I, I'm, I'm thinking that having a week to come up with a, a well some well-crafted language might behoove us because uh, 
I, I mean, know the governor's got, you know, the governor's office has a lot of stuff on their plate right now. And while it's super important to us, uh, I, I think the, the more focus we can make the ask, the better. And I think that having a week to prepare it would be ideal. And perhaps, okay. perhaps that could even be done in conjunction with, with legal counsel. So it's not all on her, on her plate. I concur with Mr. Schulte, Jaime. Uh, can I get Mr. Miller? Can I ask clarification? Yeah. So when we're doing this, some of the things that we talked about aren't prohibited that I could find anywhere in regulation. Will we know which ones? Let's just say the offsite handoff, right? That we talked about. Are we looking at that as is okay under the regulations? It's not prohibited, so we just need to fix the interpretation of how it's been applied over the last couple of years. So we don't have to ask for things that we don't really need, if that makes sense. It's things that we could do, right? Maybe three years ago, someone interpreted it and gave the direction that here's how you're going to transport. We look at the regs today. I couldn't find anything that prohibited an off-site handoff. So if, let's say, the, they go through the regulations and say, well, we can't find where it's prohibited, you know, based on board guidance, we can allow it to happen now. Is, is that part of the plan? Uh, Mr. Miller, I think that would be part of what I think the uh, uh, attorney would look at. And, uh, you know, if she can't find where it's prohibited, I think Mr. Klinkhart can talk to enforcement. Because I, I remember this came up several times when I think basically a retailer in Kenai traveled all the way to Fairbanks and picked up product and then carried it back. And we had sort of discouraged that at one point through enforcement. Uh, they were rationale for that. Uh, but I do think that that should be part of what the attorney could come up with. And if it's not something we need to ask the governor, but it is something that we could do on our own, uh, I think she could let us know and then we could make a decision from that point. Does that make sense? I appreciate that. Mr. Return to what Mr. Lauren, I'm sorry, what uh, Mr. Miller was saying. I think a lot of this has to do with like the point of sale, where it occurs. Is it in a restricted area or is it on the curbside? So I think that's where the regulations pertain to, you know, what they can and can't do. It's the point oh, of sale has to be, I, you know, at the retail. And at the, at the retail level, yes, but but a, a sale from a cultivator to a manufacturer uh, oh, yes. and who, who delivers that. You know, we require a manifest from a cultivator that has to manifest and then walk through a door from the cultivation to their manufacturing. And then that, that transfer gets taken place in person and they hand, uh, they do the metric, that's one thing. But if you're transporting from uh, Fairbanks to Anchorage and whether or not you can transfer that product from the cultivator's transporter to the manufacturer's transporter in the parking lot of Walmart, I believe is one of the things that enforcement was not comfortable with. And so that's why we're at that position. But I think that's something the attorney needs to look at and give us advice. Yes. And I agree because I was looking at this amendment A and uh, health amendment A12. Yeah. She just needs to look at it and interpret for us because my interpretation is different than Mr. Miller's. Right. So thank you. Okay. I'm Mr. Schulte. Sorry. I, I, I don't want to expand it. I actually kind of wanted to wrap it up. What I was going to suggest is perhaps Mr. Miller could come up with the uh, the bullet items that he thinks are going to be most impactful and maybe even take a first pass at determining which ones are actually changes in regulation requiring an emergency regulation and which ones would could 
potentially be viewed as just a change in enforcement or a change in interpretation, then hand that off to legal counsel to review. Maybe, maybe that would be a, a way to approach this. Yeah, I think Mr. Miller has a start on that. And I think the attorney had said that she was going to be in contact with Mr. Miller uh, based on okay, that. Great. We also have the uh, testimony from AMIA uh, that we had yesterday. I believe they have also sent a letter to the governor. Uh, they have also sent a letter, I believe, to the board through the director. I'm sure both of those could be made available to the attorney and take a look. Okay, hearing none. Uh, Ms. Wilson, you said that Ms. Milks had uh, given you uh, some suggestions on some other things. Do you want to raise those now and uh, at least list them out? Well, her initial, I, I don't necessarily think either of these issues are issues that require a, a regulation. She mentioned the concern, three safety concerns for the public. Uh, one is the number of transactions with cash and how cash is a source, how cash can carry the COVID virus for a lengthy period of time. Another is how many people retail licensees need to have in a store with checking IDs, et cetera. Uh, I don't know if, if the licensees have still believe they can meet the security needs with a reduced staff. And the third is there's significant evidence that vaping and smoking um, impacts an individual's ability to fight off this virus. And I don't know if the board wants to weigh in on any of those issues, but those are the, the main ones. Number of transactions. Uh, could you do, repeat that one again? Just in general, because, of course, this industry is cash-based, cash is changing a lot of hands from the customer to the retailer and cash is a place where COVID can remain. I don't know if we know the, the actual length that can stay on that, but I don't know if there's anything, and this is more for you to consider whether there's anything particularly retail establishments can do to ensure staff and customer safety when it comes to handling cash. Yeah, yes, I, I agree with you immensely, but we're also a, an industry that has trouble with banking and uh, credit card right. is oftentimes exactly. not available. I know most of the restaurants here in Juneau that are doing takeout um, are not accepting any payments in cash. They are credit card only. So if you only have cash, uh, I know of people that have been turned down to purchase uh, delivery pizza because they were going to pay in cash and they will only take credit cards. So I'm not sure and that's something like, we can... Yeah. Yeah, I realize we can't change the law on that. I just don't know if anyone knows anything about sanitizing cash to make it safer for people. Yeah. And then the number of people that need to have in the store, I think that's part of the curbside discussion. And I believe that's something the industry is already uh, working on, as Mr. Miller said. Uh, evidence of vaping and smoking to fight the virus. While I probably agree, I think we're in the same boat as the uh, tobacco industry and uh e-cigarette industry, we're not in a position of, of uh, overall regulating that. And uh, so I'm not sure we can address that, that at all. But I, I have read the health mandates. So 
Thank Ms. Mills, and I think that uh, maybe at some point we need to look at this if this virus goes on, but I, I don't know that we can do anything today or uh, in the next week on those. Is there any other board discussion? I'm sorry to, to break my own rules and talk for Mr. Chair. Uh, Mr. Director. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry. D Director oh. Linkar. One thing I want you to at least consider that I and I apologize for not making it on the agenda is the uh, for the board to consider, uh, and this is an economic consideration. So I want to make sure you know that of um, licensing fees for uh, marijuana during this pandemic. You may discuss. Uh, yes, I. Uh, yeah. Well, there's a can of worms. Yeah. Uh, it, it is, and 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 there are there are regulations and laws that the governor has done in terms of occupational licensing fees. If a hairdresser has been shut down and their license is up for renewal, then they don't have an income to pay the fee to renew their their license. And uh, but since all of our industry is still operating, I don't think we fit in the same way a hairdresser or a masseuse. Uh, does at some point in time there was a list of all of the various departments and the regulations and laws that, that have been suspended within the Department of Commerce where we are uh, there was only two listed and none of those had anything to do with 3AAC or with uh, 1738 so um, I, I think that uh, Mr. Klinkart is right I think that's something we have to pay attention to and if it was a point where somehow there was a requirement or some mandate to shut down all or portions of our industry and we're coming up on renewal time, then yes, I think we do that. Same time, we have to remember that we as a board and our ability to function with staff depend on those fees and that if we get to that point that we could be a real diminished response to the industry. So um, I hope we never get there but I also understand it is an economic thing for the industry and we do need to pay attention. Mr. Miller. I, I would just say as an industry member, as long as our business is open, I, I don't know why we would suspend the fees or, or whatever we're talking about. And yeah. I know we took, I knew we took some action on marijuana handler card renewals, but I would say if this goes too long, that maybe at some point, uh, the board come back and consider, you know, waiving the marijuana handler uh, renewal fees for individuals, not necessarily businesses, but you know, not all, not all marijuana handler card people are working right now, and I would hate to see someone's card expire because they couldn't afford to renew it. I think the renewal fee may be less than the uh, fee to pay for the education that we require. But uh, I, I do get your point, Mr. Miller, and I think we'll, we need to keep that in our mind as well. I am going to adjourn this meeting at uh, 3 uh, 27 p.m. on the 3rd of April 2020, and we will convene in a special called session April 10th, 
at one o'clock. So thank you all. And uh, uh, we are done for the day. Hey, hey, thank you for joining us on Far North Tokers. You can find more conversations with the players in Alaskan Cannabis on SoundCloud, iTunes, and all other podcast places. Facebook, Instagram, and farnorthtokers.com. Send questions and comments to midtoker at farnorthtokers.com. M-I-D-T-O-K-E-R at farnorthtokers.com. Here's Token. Through the chair, Casey. Uh, If this is not a member of the board, the answer is no. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.